0: Hello, and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, as most of the topics for the, the episodes come from when I'm actually in church, um, was from the reading that had happened in the first week of Lent. And it was something that I had never thought about with Jesus. And I do got to say, the practice of doing this podcast and, and thinking about about what we're going to talk about on topics has really, I guess, made me more aware um, to certain things. Um, And I got to assume it's part of the the goal of everyone to to go through this is how to become closer to Jesus. But one of the things that had struck me, because I guess I was just naive for the first 30 years of my life, was that when he went to the desert, angels were teaching him um, for his 40 days of temptation. And I always had this thought in my head when he was a kid, he went to the temple, he knew more than the guys there, he's teaching them, he's blowing everyone's mind by his awesomeness and knowing what's going on. He doesn't need to get taught anything. He's already God, he's got this. And then to to have that that hit me like, oh, you've been wrong this whole time and you totally missed the passage where it says you're wrong. Um, I believe that came from the Gospel of Mark. You would know that better than me because I'm sure you read it during one of the masses over that week. Um, Mm. But um, it was just something that struck me that that Jesus, the, the son of God, still needed help in spiritual direction from angels. And I don't know if I'm interpreting that right, but that was just something that hit me. And I figured we'll start with that point. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong and we'll go from there.
1: Um no it's uh it's a great thing to reflect on. I think the uh I think the word that's used I was just going to check another translation was uh, that the angels of God were ministering to him. Yeah the angels ministered to him. Um but part of the way that angels minister is is teaching. I mean angels are spiritual beings composed of will and intellect and so they're Primary thing to do is uh, is to move in us. Now they're able to move a number of things in us, but able to move our gray matter uh, enough to produce thoughts and to infuse thoughts, and also able to move our emotions uh, that that part of us, our whole endocrinology system, I suppose, and however that works with our nerves and things like that to uh, to kind of move some things around in us, but. Uh, angels were ministering to him, it really shows us the radical reality that I just touched on as an example in our last podcast that Jesus is true God and true man. One of the heresies that people have fallen into throughout the ages is to make him a God who only appeared to be human or to make him a human who uh, either became God at some point or was really just the greatest among humans who wasn't really God. And holding together that tension that he is true God and true man leaves us with a mystery that does make us scratch our heads at some of these questions. And if we emphasize one side or the other, if we emphasize his humanity without his divinity or his divinity without his humanity, then we end up falling into heresy. And so Mm -hmm. we... uh, if we choose to look at one or the other, we have to be aware that we're just doing that for the sake of focusing on it, but then we back up and look at the whole picture. But one of the amazing things is that he really did empty himself and he became fully human. And when we say that he became fully human, how can you become fully human if you have all the answers and you can do whatever you want? Is that a real experience of our humanity? Well, no. And so part of being human was that at some level in his human knowledge, he didn't have all the answers. There were things that were obscure from him, just as we know there were things that were hard from him. He said, and we know it wasn't God's will, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. In the garden, he suffered. Mm -hmm. He really suffered not just physically, but also emotionally. He wanted something different from the Father. Again, that's in his humanity. And so he was also able to say, not my will, but thy will be done. He willingly took that forward, but he experienced that. And we're getting a little window into his interior experience, his internal experience. And when it says that he was surrounded by wild beasts and he was tempted, the letter to the Hebrews says he was tempted in every way. Now, that's amazing. I have not been tempted in every way. Mm Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I've never had a temptation to rob a bank. I've never had a temptation to kill a number of people or to have all kinds of uh, perverse sexual activities with all kinds of people. Or to, There's a whole bunch of ways I haven't been tempted. Mm-hmm. The letter to the Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way. What in the world is that like? Mm-hmm. And part of the, what he's going through in the desert, those 40 days, is being tempted in every way. Now, why did he allow all this to happen? Because he wants to enter into everyone's human experience. So he knows your temptations. He knows my temptations. He knows the temptations of, of pedophiles and serial killers. He knows what it feels like from the inside. And he does that out of love for us. He doesn't stay at a safe distance. But he enters into the inside of our human experience. Mm-hmm. And so he also makes himself needy he makes himself dependent even on angels to minister to him to move his mind with truth to move his emotions to strength and courage he makes himself needy in the weakness of our human flesh so that he also needs the ministry of angels and ultimately the ministry of our own reparation and our own prayers and anyway starts to open another subject. But uh, really seeing the dependence of Jesus, the weakness of Jesus, and we know in the end the mortality of Jesus. He makes himself mortal and subject to death so that he dies a death like ours. Uh, Yeah, there's there's a lot in all of that to show us how truly God becomes one with us, not just in appearance, not just by at a safe distance not in a superficial way, but he really enters into our interior human experience to the worst of it, so that there's nothing we experience which is unredeemable, which is unlovable, or which is even separated from him.
0: And as you said that, a thought came to my mind is that from, I guess, him knowing what he was about to go out and set forth and doing his own ministry, there's a a certain element of take on everything the worst before you can even deal with it. So when something comes along, you're already prepared almost as, as a preparation um, system. You know, you, you, you don't go into, into a football game without learning your playbook or practicing, or, or seeing what bad things could happen before you go out into the world and do your teaching, and that part makes sense too. You know, you need to, to to get your your game plan in line, whether that be you're doing a big meeting and you want to know what you're going to say, know your numbers, or or know how people are going to uh to to try to bring you down, as as his case was. So that way, whenever the Pharisees come at him later in life, he Already dealt with something so much worse. He knows how to answer the question correctly. Um, so basically, he walked out there and he accepted all this misery, so that when it happened later in life, he'd be able to handle it. Is that a also a, a way of seeing that, or or is that wrong?
1: Um, yeah, no, it's a it's a nice insight. The, um, I mean. I wouldn't want to boil that down to one reason, sure. but is is that part of it? Because we even notice at the beginning of the passage, it says that the Spirit drove Jesus into the desert mm-hmm. to be tempted for forty days. So, is the Spirit kind of his uh, redemption coach? Um, well, yeah, I mean that's a that's a reasonable way to interpret that that behavior or that. Uh, that reality, that action of the Holy Spirit to drive him into the desert, or another gospel says, led him into the desert, but the the same effect, that he Mm -hmm. went out into the desert to enter into the the dregs of our humanity. That actually takes place right after his baptism, which is another interesting point. Did Jesus need to be baptized like we do? Uh, Well, no, he didn't need to be baptized. He was already the Son of God, and He was already free of sin, but in entering into the waters of baptism, in a certain sense, he enters into our sinful waters. See, in baptism, our sins are washed away, so that makes the water dirty. The water is dirty with sin, and so he enters into the dirty, sinful water that will flow anyway uh, throughout time, and he takes all of that onto himself. And then he gets out of the water. He's affirmed by the Father, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he's led into the desert. So he's, he's living both in this affirmation of the Father and in touch with and really experiencing the sinful dregs of our humanity. He lives both of those at the same time. And that's precisely what we are also called to do. By him doing it, he makes it possible for us also to do it—to be broken, limited, wounded, sinful human beings as we are, and to be beloved children of the Father in Him.
0: And that that makes sense. Um, yeah, so so many thoughts are, are, are coming out about this. Like I said, I, I do think the part of the exercise of preparing for the cast makes you more observant um, about particular things and and thinking about them. So one of the things that had been thought of for a while and didn't really know how to introduce it here into the cast was in a lot of the ordinary time readings before Lent began, and um, I, I might have the time of the year off, um, you, you can correct me on this, is him dealing with the evil, unclean spirits and driving them away. And I guess that that part isn't really discussed in in modern times anymore. Um, But the fact that while there's, um, as we talked in our last couple, Mary appearing, um, we don't really like to talk about the fact that it's evil comes down upon us and and how can we drive that away? I know that that part of one of the many goals of this cast is that, but we never kind of dive into it. And they all knew Jesus by name and he told them, don't you tell people who I am and you just leave. Um, at least that was the, the one that I'm remembering. Um, again, I can't recall exactly which gospel it was from, um, from from a mass. So, uh, so I guess that that's the concept I'm trying to introduce here and, and see the, uh, see the direction that we ought to take that.
1: Well, uh, if we don't talk about those things, it's not because they don't exist. And the spiritual realm has been downplayed for the last couple of centuries. We've, to speak in generalities, really exalted science and what we would call a positivistic Materialism, That is to say, we make this claim that the only things that exist are those things that we can detect with our senses, positivistic, uh, and ultimately the things we can detect with our senses are material realities. And if we reduce all of reality to this positivistic materialism, we run into a number of problems because there are things that we can't see and that we can't measure that are really important in terms of freedom and in terms of our intellect, for example, and in terms of love, um, we don't have measurements for those things Mm -mm. to name a few, but there are spiritual realities and those are both the good spiritual realities of the angels and saints and the bad spiritual realities of demons and, and the damned for that matter. Um, so those uh, those bad spiritualities or bad bad spiritual realities, those bad spiritual um, creatures are they they are very much active. There's a there's a wonderful ministry called Unbound that takes a very beautiful approach to deliverance ministry. We talk about deliverance from evil spirits, and we say it in fact in our mass. Every time we celebrate the Mass, Mm -hmm. after we pray the Our Father, deliver us from evil. And then the priest says, deliver us, Lord, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days. So we are asking for deliverance from evil. We recognize, and actually that text from the Our Father could be to deliver us from the evil one would also be a, a fair translation of that. Um, We we renounce Satan and all his works and all his empty promises whenever we renew our baptismal vows Mm -hmm. at the Easter Vigil uh, and whenever we have a baptism of a new baby. In a baptism of a baby, there's actually an exorcism prayer that's prayed over the baby to cast out evil spirits. In the old rite of baptism, before the Second Vatican Council, there were a number of exorcisms that were done over the individual being baptized. Uh, And the ministry of exorcism is still active in the church. Uh, I know the exorcist in Pittsburgh. Okay. and uh, There are exorcisms going on in Pittsburgh. So uh, not far from you. But uh, anyway, we, we don't want to highlight those realities either. And that's why we don't focus all of our attention or a lot of attention because the devil really likes to get a lot of attention. And so we can end up playing into his hand if we focus on that too much. But it is important to be aware of, and important to understand how to deal with his his temptations and his attacks, which are are very real things.
0: I guess on that question, why is that the person who is the exorcist? Why is that always a secret? Well,
1: it's it's only sort of a secret. It's just one of those things. Again, we don't want to draw so much rea- so much attention to that. Um, People get weirded out by that and can treat him in a weird way if they know that he's he's an exorcist. And um, sometimes it also draws weird negative attention. There are people that think that they're possessed and uh, it can be a, a big burden on his life if he's getting phone calls all day by people. There's an office in the diocese and there's a person that handles those kinds of phone calls and just frees up the exorcist from being Excessively bothered by uh, by false alarms and anyway situations that he's not really equipped to deal with that need a psychologist or need some other kind of uh, treatment.
0: Sure, sure. Well, that makes sense. Was, that was just as like I said a, a general reign, something that that happens in the Bible um, to Jesus and and that, like I said, doesn't seem like something the saint would quit doing. <laughs> so uh, so so wanted to because that was other one of the things that. Um, just throughout history, just kinds of seems that, you know, every time that, that you're going after the church, it seems to be, at least in the modern era, kind of a blueprint that's laid out. You directly attack the church by, um, by laws. You allow things that the church is blatantly against to become commonplace, um, typically abortion that was how the soviet bloc did it everywhere um and then you just do a propaganda campaign and then after the propaganda campaign eventually you just start doing persecution and that's essentially what the soviets did for nearly an entire century and uh it's just something that that i think of and in reading again reading through history as, as as i have been and just something that Obviously, you can't undo what has been done, but how to prevent it from happening again. Um, one of the reasons we talk about the March for Life so much in this is, you know, I, I think that that is a a doorway down a really bad road and uh, how we can prevent that and keep that from going. Again, that's why we have things like this podcast. So we thank you all for uh, for participating in that. And on that note, as I went into a little tangent there, we are nearing the end of it, Father. So I wanted to see if uh, you have any thoughts that that you wanted to, to give to us and in, in today's episode to uh, to set us forth forward, forward with the rest of our week.
1: Well, I think uh, it is important to recognize the angels who help us and. Okay. And to recognize that we're not so sovereign over ourselves The weakness that Jesus experienced with the temptation of the desert Which you drew our attention to at the beginning of the podcast Is a human weakness We don't always have control over our thoughts and over our emotions And uh, our, our angels can affect that and can support that We've all had those kind of light bulb moments And we've had those, maybe a, a surge of good feeling That gives us the courage to go through with something Where's that come from? Uh, can we reduce all of that to physical causality? That somehow there was, you know, whatever, some some chemical got released in our system and it caused our brains to move in some interesting way, you know. Uh, could be, but there are also spiritual realities around us. And we can create a, a home. I, I like this uh, image that Neil Lozano of the Unbound ministry uses that, you know, spirits are wandering around looking for a home, and we can create an atmosphere in us that welcomes good spirits, an atmosphere of positivity, of charity, of humility, an atmosphere of, uh, of justice and and courage and goodness. We can open up a, a place in us that, uh, you know, can create a welcome atmosphere for good spirits for angels or we can create an atmosphere in us of of hatred and negativity and uh, evil thoughts and uh, licentiousness and perversion that becomes a, a nesting place for evil spirits and so creating a kind of healthy interior environment and even renouncing some of the negative stuff can be a, a great assistance to us in being uh, also ministered to by angels and not as much threatened or attacked by demons.
0: That's a beautiful message. So, um, so on that note, uh, that we're going to uh, to end the cast a little bit short here. But we thank everyone for listening to us this week. Please continue to subscribe and leave reviews on iTunes and continue to follow us on Twitter at Father and Joe. Thank everyone and have a great week.